Well, we're so glad that you're here today at Second Chance. If you're tuning in um, online or if you're in the room and college football yesterday, I feel like I have to say something about the, the Tennessee win, at least for Lisa, um, because we've made fun of them all year long and they, they won a game yesterday. So congratulations. We don't know when that'll happen again. Um, odds are that Jesus is actually coming back before that happens again, but... Congrats. Um, I'm a Clemson fan. It was a tough day for us because we were off, but South Carolina lost um, to a team that, that we beat. So I just want to say that was super good. Anyway, before people log off, I want to welcome you to our series called Christianese. And we said this last week that we're living in a different culture. And, and the culture that we live in today speaks a different language. And, and if we want to reach the world for Christ, that we're going to have to learn how to adjust our language and adjust our posture when it comes because statistics, I can't say that word, show that people are walking away from the church in record numbers, and it's not because they have a problem with Jesus, it's because they have a problem with people in the church. And, and here's the good news, here's the good news. We can actually do something about that. We can change up our posture, and that's what this series is all about. Um, let me pause and say this. Next week, I'm actually going to be talking about the subject of depression, anxiety, and mental illness and how the church responds to that because for years the church has taken the wrong posture. And so next week, we're going to talk about that. That's all I'm going to say. You got to tune in. You just did that to get me to tune in next week. Can't get one by on you, can we, buddy? Anyway, today though, today though we're going to talk about frenemies. And all of us know people in our life who are, that's a combination of friends and enemies, all of us have had at some point in our life frenemies. And I want to set it up this way. Um, I remember, uh, our, even back further, a few weeks ago, I was at Chick-fil-A getting some Christian chicken and um, noticed an EMT, uh, an ambulance guy person walked in. And uh, every time I see a person, like an ambulance person or police or, fi or firemen or whatever, um, I try to, I don't always do this, but I try to just stop and say a prayer for that person because... Um, especially this ambulance driver, they never know. The EMTs, they never know what situation they're going to go into. They never know if somebody called them and they go out of the house and, and it's just somebody with a paper cut, and you, you know, or they're walking into the, one of the most horrific situations in the world. And I happen to know a few EMTs. They don't do it for the money. I mean, they are not making bank. They do it, something, something is compelling them to do it, I believe it's a love for people. And as I was watching this gentleman pick up his order the other day, it, it caused me to think back to the first time I, ex my, my first experience with, with an EMT was when I was in first grade and uh, I was on the school bus. Now school bus, <laughs> back, this was back in the days where they didn't have a lot of laws in place. So they could take a van and a 15 passenger van and cram about 28 kids in it. And they called that a school bus. Um, and Mr. Spivey was the school bus driver, and so Mr. Spivey, and he was mean. He, he, could, he would spank you while he was driving the bus. They, he would get prosecuted today, but back then they just called it um, normal. So I remember we were driving down the road one day. Mr. Spivey was yelling at us because, of course, we were messing up, and he stopped at a stop sign. He turned around to say something to us and pulled out in front of a car that never had time to slow down, and it T-boned our school bus. Now, the next few minutes of my life, it's, it's kind of flashes. I just remember 
um, kind of rolling over. I remember lots of screams. And before I knew it, and this was before 911, like today we have 911 and they're like rappelling out of helicopters within 20 seconds. But this was the day before 911. And before I knew it, the EMTs were there. And here's what was incredible about the, the medical workers when they showed up. They didn't revive, Mr. Spivey was unconscious. They didn't revive Mr. Spivey and then begin to give him lectures on driving safely. They didn't get all the kids together and say, I need to talk to you about wearing seatbelts when you're in. They didn't get the driver of the other car and say, I need to talk to you about driving safely. No, no, no. They showed up. They, did, they, they didn't show up and operate out of a lecture mentality. They showed up and operated out of love. And when it comes to reaching the world today for Christ, I believe, I believe, unfortunately, that I believe as Christians, we're more known for our lectures than our love. We're not known as the EMTs. We're known as the professors who say, you shouldn't do that. You should stop doing that. You should start doing that. And you know what? All of that might be true. But at the end of the day, Jesus said that the world would know that we belong to him by the way we love one another, not lecture one another. And this is my fear. This is my fear right here. Self-righteousness, because that's what causes ultimately to want to lecture people over and over and over again. But self-righteousness will sabotage our influence in the world. If, if, and, and I've had people push back on me and say, but, but here's the deal, Perry, I'm right. I'm right. But have you ever thought about this? And if you're a parent, so this, is, this goes back, and I've said this before, to some of the best parenting advice I've ever gotten, that you can win the argument and lose the relationship. You can win the argument, and that's not just true for parenting. That's true for us trying to be an influence in this world for Jesus as well, that we can win the argument and lose the relationship. So at the end of the day, what are we going to be known for? Are we going to be known for a self-righteous attitude that postures herself as better than people? Or, hey, I just want to be known as somebody that loves people. Now, in order to set this up, we're going to talk about a guy named Job. If you have a Bible and you want to go to the book of Job, it's kind of in the middle of your Bible. You go to Psalms and hang a left. Um, Job is there. And we're going to look at several scriptures, but we're going to start in Job chapter 1, verse 1, and if you've if you got a Bible background, you've heard about Job, but you maybe haven't heard this aspect of Job. And even if you don't have a Bible background, you've heard a little bit, you've probably at least heard Job mentioned. So Job chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going to start. Here we go. The Bible says this, there was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. I don't know where that is, but it sounds like a cool place to live, right? He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Now, I just want to pause because I was thinking about this this week when I was working on this. If they were going to write a book about you, if they were going to write like the book of Zach or the book of Ed or the book of Wanda, just hypothetically, those might be people in the room. What would be the first sentence about you? Like, like, would they say this about you? 
Because I want to tell you, if they were writing the book of Perry, that this would not, they would not say. There was once a man named Perry who lived in us. He was bl- I have been blamed for some stuff, all right? I am not blameless. A man of complete integrity, eh. Um, we talked about the weight on the driver's license last week, right? Feared God, and this would say, and sometimes God tried to see how close to evil he could get without crossing the line, right? This is, this right here, this sentence describing a person, like this guy, Job, we're all going to have to agree that he's a good person, that the very first thing the Bible wants us to know about Job is that he's a good person. But then things start to break down. The next few verses talk about how he's blessed, how he's got camels, and he's got animals and land. He's got 10 kids. Can you imagine having 10 kids? 10 kids. My grandmother had 10 kids. My grandmother had 10 kids on my mom's side. She used to say about my grandpa, because somebody asked Grandma said, when did you find time to have all those children? She said, I'd be washing dishes in the kitchen, and he'd come in, and that's when he'd commence. I just thought that was funny because it was coming from my grandma. Anyway, Bible goes on to say this. One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, so anytime you feel accusation, you know where that comes from, came with them. We have... Uh, where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. That'd be, that, that could be the beginning of a really scary movie, by the way. Here we go. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? I want to pause real quick. I want to pause. What happens after this conversation caused me to think, I hope that God never looks at Satan and says, have you considered my servant Perry? Which I don't even think I'm in that category. But that's the, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, pay attention to what God says about Job. What God says about Job. He is, a, he is blameless. Go back to verse 1. What's the first thing that verse 1 says about Job? He's blameless. A man of complete integrity, he fears God. So God's talking about himself in the third person right here, which I think is kind of cool. And stays away from evil. So what God says about Job in verse 8 is the same thing that the writer of Job says about Job in verse 1. So, and this is really important for later on, Job is a legitimately good guy. The writer of the book of Job and God say the same thing about him. Complete integrity. In other words, this guy isn't shady. There's nothing secret going on behind the scenes. Job is as good. This is the guy you want to work for. This is the guy you want your daughter to marry. This is the guy that you want to marry. This is, this is a super, super good guy. But after this happens, all hell broke loose in Job's life. Because Satan said, well, you know, I mean, he's good, but he's good because you've blessed him. If you just take away his stuff. He wouldn't worship you like that. And God said, okay, okay, take away his stuff. And so we see in the next several verses, everything fall apart. He lost his possessions. He lost his land. He went completely bankrupt. And then an event happened where all 10 of his children were killed at the same time. I can't imagine I, can't, I get upset, like a few weeks ago, Kara sprained her ankle, and I felt like a horrible father, and I wasn't even there, right? It's, it's, but no, 
You never, ever, ever, ever want to see your kid get hurt, but then to lose all 10 at the same time, that pain. Now, it's important because we're going to come back to that. We're going to come back to that. Job's a good guy, loses all 10 of his children. And, but at the end of chapter 1, Job said, it's, it's, he's quoted, you know, naked I came into this earth, naked I'll leave this earth, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, he hadn't turned his back on God. And you're like, what an incredible guy. So in chapter 2, Satan and God get back together. In fact, the conversation strikes up again, and God said, well, you know, you took everything from Job, and Job didn't turn his back on me. And Satan said, well, yeah, but here's the deal. He's healthy. He's still got his health. If you take away his health, he's going to turn on you. This is true of most men. When we get sick, we're babies, right? Women are tough, but men, we get the sniffles. We're in bed for three days. We want to be waited on hand and foot. So Job, Satan inflicts Job, and he gets super, super sick. We don't know specifically what happened. I'm not going to, if you read verse two, it's kind of graphic and a little gross. He's really, 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 he's so sick that his wife said, oh my God, curse God and die. Like this is as bad as it gets for Job. But then something good happens. Something good, something good actually happens. His frenemies get together. I don't want to show you why I call these guys frenemies. Check this out. The Bible says this. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Now, I want to pause real quick and just say that sometimes when everything falls apart, it's just good to have some people show up and be around you. They don't even have to talk. They're just there. I remember, I remember my dad passed away. I had a friend call me and said, um, what can I do for you? And I said, honestly? He said, yeah. I said, get a group of people together, get some food from Mama Pens, and let's just all hang out at somebody's house tonight. And he said, done. And we didn't talk about, we didn't talk, toss out Christian phrases. We didn't toss out, it's just, I just want to be around some people and not feel all alone. And sometimes when we go through tough times, that's what we need. We just need people around us that are willing to stay with us and not help make us feel so alone. That's a, that's a good thing. But this begins to go a little bit south. Um, the Bible says their names were Eliphaz, the, Te- the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. Now, verse 12 isn't really encouraging. When they saw Job from a distance... They scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. I'm going to need you to keep it together if you're my friend and I'm going through crazy stuff, right? I'm going to need you to kind of hold it together. But they're like, and, the, and we don't do that anyway. But in the ancient Near East, this was the way they showed grief. And, and, but this is the cool part. This is the cool part. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. And sometimes, sometimes in all of us, hopefully we've got some people that when we go through like hell on earth, they'll just sit with us. We don't have to talk. We don't have to throw out Christian phrases like, God uses all things for the good. Sometimes I don't want to hear that. 
right? Sometimes can we just sit here and drink some coffee and talk about something normal or we don't have to say anything at all? It's such a blessing. And Job, after about seven days, begins to feel a little bit of freedom and he speaks out and he's just honest. He, he thinks that he's with a group of people that he can be honest with. And so he kind of goes off, okay? The Bible says this in Job chapter 3, verse 1. At last Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. Pause. You ever been there? You ever been there? Like you're just, I, I'm just mad, and I'm going to talk about the fact that I'm mad. When you get to the point where you're cursing the day of your birth, that's mad. That's officially mad. Um, he said, let the day of my birth be erased and the night I was conceived. I mean, he, he is absolutely feeling hurt. He is absolutely feeling pain. And he thinks he's with a group of people with whom he can vent. Now, all of us need somebody or a group of people in our life that we can just vent to. Would you agree? I've got a buddy of mine. I'm not going to say his name. But I was really upset about something a couple weeks ago, and I called him, and this was my message to him. I, I'm not actually going to tell the whole message because I might get banned from Facebook. But um, I just said, hey, and I called him by the name. I said, if your kids are around, um, you, you might want to take this off speakerphone or ask them to leave the room because what I'm about to say is not kid-friendly, and it wasn't. And for about 30 to 45 seconds, I just went off. I just went off on something that was bothering me, and when I got done, I said, I'm sorry. I know that was horrible, but that's honestly the way I felt. And you're one of the few people in the world I feel that wouldn't judge me for feeling that way. And he called me back an hour later, and I wasn't able to take his call. So I went to voicemail. And when I checked the voicemail, he was like, hey, man, I just want you to know I feel so honored that you would call and share that with me. He said, but on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being or 10 being absolutely deplorable, he said, you were about a two. You've got a ways to go. And I was like, that's my boy right there because he didn't judge me. He didn't jump all over me. You shouldn't say things like that. You know what I think? I think God loves it when we're honest way more than when we're fake. Because when we say, well, I believe God's going to use this for the good and we're crumbling inside, that in no way honors God at all. So Job is going off but then his friends approach this with a self-righteous attitude. And I want to point out three things that self-righteousness does that, that's incredibly destructive that we got to watch not just in other people, but in ourselves as well. Here we go. Self-righteousness points a finger rather than lending a hand. Self-righteousness points a finger rather than lending a hand. Several years ago, um, I was, uh, it's when I first started in church, and we all went on a singles retreat. And anytime you went on a singles retreat, the goal was always to not go on the singles retreat the next year, but to go on the married retreat. So you're on the singles retreat, basically not because you love Jesus. It's just you're like you hope you find somebody. So I'm on the singles retreat, and we're, um, it was raining. We were in Gatlinburg. It was cold. We were moving some sound equipment from one building to another. A girl came up to me, and she said, can I borrow your truck? Because my truck had a little cover on it. She was kind of hot, so I was like, sure, you can borrow my truck, because remember, the goal was to be off the singles retreat one day. So she borrowed my truck, but this nice, sweet girl parked my truck pretty much in the middle of the most gigantic mud hole in Tennessee and just left it. 
So I remember going to find my truck. I get in the truck. My friend John was with me, um, and I cranked the truck up, and I started to go forward, and I stuck. I tried to go back, stuck. And you know, men, we, we, don't, we don't just accept the way things are. I just pushed the gas harder, which got me stuck more. And then I, I finally was just exasperated. I stopped, and John looked at me and said, you're stuck. <laughs> like, thanks. Thanks, John. That helps out so much. He goes, you know why you're stuck, don't you? I was like, why, John? He goes, well, it's because you made it worse. He said, you see, every time you push the gas, it just, and he, expl- he literally explained to me like I was stupid why I was stuck. So I'm considering punching him at this moment, but there was a guy on the trip um, named Steve. Now, every church has a Steve. Every church I've ever met has a Steve. Steve is a redneck who drives, he was driving, his truck was the size of Tennessee, um, and, and in his toolbox, you don't, you, the, it, you don't know what's in that toolbox, but anything he needs is in the toolbox. And so he had a chain and a rope in the toolbox. I don't know why I didn't ask him, but he, he, I remember he walked up and said, I think I can get you out. And so literally he crawls in the mud because Steve lives for stuff like, like this. He crawls in the mud. He gets the rope and the chain. He ties it onto a winch on the front of his truck that is so large, it could pull Africa and South America back together again. I have no idea why he needs a winch like this, but he literally gets in his truck, backs up, pulls my truck right out, kind of laughs. That, that's all he did. And you know what I remember about that? I don't, I don't, I don't remember John's lecture. John's lecture did not help me. Steve helped me. And at the end of the day, I, th- I want to be known as someone, I hope we want to be known as someone who instead of pointing a finger, actually offers a hand. And the reason I bring that up is because here we are, don't, now come, come back to this. Job chapter one, verse one said, Job is awesome. God affirmed that very same thing in Job chapter one, verse eight. Job starts to vent about how unfair life is And one of his friends starts arguing with him and says this, doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? As I've observed, those who plow plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. In other words, his friend is going, hey, Job, the reason you're going through this is because there's some sin in your life. There's some bad stuff. Job, you're a bad person, and bad things happen to bad people. Now, just, just, a, just a thought, just, just a thought. Even if this was true, is this what he needed to hear in the moment? The answer is no. The, the even worse part is, what he's saying isn't true, and, 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 he, and he doesn't let up. He says in the next chapter, but evil does not spring from the soil, and trouble does not sprout from the earth. People are born for trouble as readily as sparks fly from a fire. In other words, he's going, Job, you and your wickedness had something to do with this. And so many times, so many times, so many times, I've seen Christians who believe God has called us to wear the referee jersey and the whistle and to step in and call foul on everything that we see wrong. But at the end of the day, and I've said this before, there is no hall of fame for referees. In fact, they slow the game down and stop its progress so many times. Now, I always get the comment, but referees are necessary. That's why you have no friends. 
Because at the end of the day, I believe, I believe with all my heart, instead of saying, this is what you've done, we should be asking, how can I help? Somebody has an addiction problem, instead of saying, you're an addict, how can I help? Somebody's pregnant and they're not married, instead of saying, you shouldn't have done that, how can I help? Somebody's down on their luck, somebody spends money they don't have, and they, how can I help? How can I help? And some people go, that's enabling. No, that's not enabling. That's meeting them exactly where Jesus would meet them. It's the first thing that we see about self-righteousness. The second thing that we see about self-righteousness is self-righteousness always lacks compassion. Self-righteousness always lacks compassion. Now, I want to ask a question. I'm asking this in the room. I need honesty, pure honesty. I can't see you online, but I know, I know you people online will be honest with me. You always are. You always are. <laughs> I, th- I think the people in the room will be too. Has there ever been a time in your life, I'm not saying that you have done this, has there ever been a time in your life, at least once, where you've wanted to ball up your fist and punch someone in the face? Anybody could admit, everybody, I'm looking around, everybody, okay, wow, all right, yeah, yeah. Some of these people in the room, I'm not surprised by it at all. Um, all of us would admit that there, there are sometimes we want to ball up our fist and just, just punch someone because of what they said or because of what they did or, or whatever. All of us have experienced that. Self-righteous people, they love to do that spiritually. They'll ball up their fist and they'll punch you in the face, but this is what they say. I'm just speaking the truth in love. And what I've noticed about the truth in love is oftentimes it's not true and there is no love. Truth in love is nothing more than an excuse for a self-righteous person to say what they want to say and mask it as Christ-like when it's really satanic. I didn't plan to say that, but that was really good. good. I just about amen myself. In fact, amen. I will amen myself right there. Because self-righteousness always lacks compassion. Now, the very first time I read what I'm about to read to you, I couldn't believe it was in the Bible. I couldn't believe it. Because, think back for a second. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says, Job was a man of full integrity, right? He's a good guy. Job chapter... 1 verse 8 says Job's a good guy. All of a sudden, his friends show up because he had this tragedy happen. One of the tragedies that we mentioned earlier, we kind of talked about, was how many kids did he have? Does anybody remember how many kids did he have? Ten. Ten. They all got killed at the same time. And one of his friends, one of his friends says to him, your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. Can you, can you imagine? I can't imagine letting this guy live. Your, your children must have sinned against him. So if you pull this guy, you go, dude, what are you doing? I'm just speaking the truth in love. I'm just speaking the truth in love. When in actuality, this guy had no clue what God was doing. But he felt like he needed to say something. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes the best thing we can do is keep our mouth shut. I, had, I have a friend who, um, him and his wife recently 
lost a child. And when I say lost a child, like two, like a day or two old. And I can't even imagine, I can't imagine that pain. But there were people that would say to them this, and, and listen, it sounds incredible on the surface, but when you get below the surface, it's one of the most insensitive things you could say to somebody. Well, God must have just needed another angel. Do, do you realize how... Mm, i got to choose my words here. <laughs> how just wrong that is. It's wrong. Well, I was trying to make them feel better. Sometimes the best thing you can do to make somebody feel better is give them a hug and say, I'm here if you need me. Period. Because this right here, this right here isn't like Jesus. And so basically, this is telling somebody, you got what you deserved. When at the end of the day, None of us want what we deserve. Because the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He goes on to say this to Job. I mean, he keeps speaking after this. But if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, stop. Job was already living with integrity. He was already pure. That's not what I said about him. That's what God said about him. See, a lot of times self-righteousness causes us to completely misjudge somebody because they're not living up to our standards. So, so, that's, and so if you'll just have some integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. Happy home? My kids are dead and my wife wants me to die. Happy home? Dude, you're clueless about what's going on in my life. And though you started with little... You'll end with much. This guy right here, um, this guy right here is unbelievable. But self-righteousness always, always, always lacks compassion. And they disguise it as speaking the truth in love. Which leads to the third, third one, number three. Self-righteousness delights in false humility. Self-righteousness delights in false humility. I, uh, when I first started um, preaching, because Christian, Christians, we do, we do weird things sometimes. When I first started preaching, um, people would say, hey, great message. Every once in a while, when it was a great message. And I would say, thank you. And I had somebody pull me aside one time, and they said, you don't ever need to say thank you. And I was like, why? And they're like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't you, it was God. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I got really self-conscious, and people would come up to me and go, Hey man, that was a great message. And I would go real quick. It was God. And you know, and they would kind of go, whoa. And, and I was like that for the longest time. Hey, great job. It was God. Now what, what I was doing was I was projecting somebody else's perception of me onto other people. And about 10 years later, I had another mentor pull me aside and say, you need to knock that off. It's okay just to say, thank you. And know it was God in your heart. You don't always have to turn everything into a Christian conversation. Like, for example, there's some guys, I just want to watch football. I just want to watch football. That's all I want to do, all right? But if we're watching football together and it's an Auburn game and the eagle swoops down, I don't need somebody going, eh, you know, those who rise up on wings as eagles. <laughs> and I'm like, no, why do you got to do the Bible verse thing? This is Auburn. <laughs> the fans are drunk. Like, like let's just watch the game, right? Anytime we see, 
I, I just need to have normal conversations. But there's something about people, um, there's something about the frenemies, there's something about self-righteousness that really does delight in false humility. Watch what another one of Job's friends says. And I want to show you why it sounds so good, but it's so wrong. Watch what he says. This is great. Then Bildad, the shoe, that guy replied, God is powerful and dreadful. Dreadful? What the? <clears throat> he enforces peace in the heavens. Who is able to count his heavenly army? Doesn't his light shine on all the earth? Yep. How can a mortal be innocent before God? We can't. Can anyone born of a woman be pure? Mm -mm. God is more glorious than the moon. I, I, there's some stuff in the Bible that you read. This guy is really stretching here. He's really, what we have is a stretch. You're going to see this in a minute. He shines brighter than the stars. In comparison... People are maggots. We mortals are mere worms. Don't you want that verse on a coffee cup? Don't you want me to be reminded that, hey, who are you? I am a maggot and a worm in Jesus' name. Thank you very much. Like, is this, is this what? But you know, but you know, people do this. And, and don't miss this. There are people, self-righteous people think they have to minimize themselves in order to maximize God. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need us to minimize ourselves because God is God whether we think we're awesome or not. In fact, Jesus introduced a brand new idea never thought of before. He said we could actually call God Father. That God is not some distant deity. That God is not some um, just um, general barking out orders that we could call God Father. Now, with that in mind, my daughter, Karis, if Karis came in front of me today and she said, Daddy, I am nothing more than a maggot and a worm, I would stop that talk immediately. I would say, no, you're not. You're my child. I love you. You are special. You are awesome. And for those that are watching today or listening to this message that think, oh, God, I'm nothing but a maggot and a worm. If you belong to Jesus, that's not who you are. You are created in the image of God. You are forgiven. You are unconditionally loved. You are accepted. He paid a high price for you. There, there is nothing about you that God, when he looks at you, says that is a maggot or a worm. When God looks at you, he said, that is my child whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Period. I heard it again today. It bothers me. I hear it about once a week where a pastor will say, you know, sometimes we disappoint God. How in the world can you disappoint God when he knew everything about us to begin with in the first place? If you could disappoint God, that means you could surprise God. If you could surprise God, that means he didn't know something about you. If there's something he did not know, then he's not omniscient. And if he's not omniscient, then he's not God. You have never disappointed God. You've, you've disappointed self-righteous people. But you've never, ever disappointed God. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, he goes on to say, the, 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 the Lord steps in in Job 42 finally. And he, he kind of dealt with Job. Job had some issues. Just a whole other message, a whole other time. But the Bible says, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me. 
as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, you self-righteous people. I love that part. For you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite did as the Lord commanded them. The Lord accepted Job's prayer. God showed up and rebuked at the end of the book. Everybody talks about his rebuke of Job, and that's important. But we missed the most important rebuke was he rebuked the self-righteousness of Job's frenemies. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think there's two things that we really have to deal with in this message. Two things. I wrote these down for myself. I hope they help you. The first thing is we got to pray, Jesus, help me to see the self-righteousness in me. Because we all struggle with this from time to time, don't we? Help me to see the self-righteousness in me. I remember when I got to rehab um, a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, about two to three days after I'd been in rehab, I caught something that I was doing and I had to repent of it. I was sent to rehab because I drank too much alcohol and I'm walking around and I would, and everybody in rehab tells you their whole story. It doesn't matter if you ask or not, you just tell the story. And two to three days in, I was like, at least I didn't do cocaine. That guy did cocaine. That guy did, that guy was hooked on, that guy, you know, mine was alcohol. And about, t- I, I really did. I was, I was really kind of feeling good about myself until one day I woke up and remembered, I'm in rehab. I have no right to look down on anybody because of where I am. And at the end of the day, we got to identify the self-righteousness in us. Because, it, listen, it will cripple the church and only... In the church, can the person who is obese look at the person who's a homosexual and say, you've got a problem? Preach. Just wanted to throw that out there for some banter this week. <laughs> the, Jesus, identify the self-righteousness in me because at the end of the day, I want that out of me and I know you want that out of you. Which leads to the second prayer, prayer that I think we should pray. Jesus... Heal the hurt the self-righteous have inflicted on me. All of us have been hurt, not self-righteous people. There's not, one, there's not one exception. All of us have been hurt by self-righteous people. And listen, listen, listen. If you were to get up and tell your story, I'm sure it would be absolutely heartbreaking. But self-righteous, don't walk away from the church and don't wake, walk away from God because of what some of his crazy children might have said or done to you. Because at the end of the day, Jesus said, we would know the world will know we're Christians by the way that we love one another. In other words, oh, I thought I had one more <laughs> phrase up there. I'm going to give away $211,000 today. And will you back that up? There we go. Jesus, heal the hurt the self-righteous have inflicted on me. That's the thing, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we want to be known as people who extend a hand who extend a hand rather than pointing a finger. And listen, I know the excuse. Well, Perry, I can't extend a hand because I'm hurt. Do you know that you can? 
Jesus, as he was being crucified, prayed for the forgiveness for the people crucifying him. Maybe this includes right here forgiving the people that have hurt you. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's the right thing to do. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I believe the church should be known as EMTs that are willing to step into any situation and do what's right to help the people involved rather than professors who lecture about the situation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much, Jesus, for how real and raw the Bible is. God, I pray for those who are watching right now of us who, have, who struggle with self-righteousness, who, who struggle with looking down on other people. God, I pray that you would burn Romans 3.23 in our minds, that all of us have sinned, all of us fall short, all of us need your grace. I pray for those who have been wounded by self-righteous people, God, that you would help them as difficult as that may be to forgive and to release and understand that forgiveness leads to freedom for us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe, maybe you've never ever in your life accepted Christ because of what a self-righteous person said or did to you. Please don't let what they did to you hold you back from the most amazing relationship in the world, a relationship with Jesus. And I want to invite some of you today, you watch every week, but today is the day that you need to ask Jesus into your life. Because while we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God gave us Jesus to make up the difference. And by asking Jesus into our life, we can establish our relationship with God and begin a journey for the rest of our life that's not always easy, but it's always right. So if you want to pray to receive Christ today, right where you are right now, I just want you to pray in your heart and just say, Jesus Christ, I believe you are Lord. And right now, I ask you to come into my life. Take over, Jesus. I surrender everything to you. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you're watching it on Church Online, if you'll just do the hand raise thing, if you'll click the hand raise button, we would love to celebrate with you. And also, if you're watching on Facebook, if you'll just do a hand raise emoji, um, we'd love to celebrate with you, follow up with you. Or you can email us at prayer at perrynoble.com prayer at perrynoble.com. But, but please, if you prayed to pr receive Christ today, hit that hand raise thing on the Second Chance website. Do the hand raise emoji on Facebook because we want to celebrate with you. Like I said, next week, we're going to deal with the Christianese because Christianese for a long time has said people that really wrestle with mental health issues, whether it be anxiety, stress, worry, depression, they, they, that's their fault and it's because they're living in sin and we're going to talk about that next week because it's not really true. The Bible has some stuff to say about that. Um, do want to give a building update. Many of you have, were, were already watching. But so far, the 250K fund, $211,123.56. And so we're getting closer and closer and closer. Uh, the contractor is going through a punch list this week. And after that, we're going to be installing um, sound system, Buy, trying to buy some furniture, get some chairs. So we're still in the process. Listen, listen, listen. I want everybody to listen. We are a church plant. We are 
starting over from scratch. It's taking more time than we thought, but when we launch, we're going to launch right and we're going to launch ready. So be patient with us as we go through this process. I wish we were there today, but we're not. But you know what? People are still meeting Jesus every week. Lives are still being changed. We're still engaging, and we will get there sooner or later, hopefully sooner rather than later. If you want to help us get there quicker, um, if you want to donate to the 250K fund, you can go on our website, mysecondchancechurch.com, mysecondchancechurch.com. There's a give button in the right-hand corner. Or you can mail us a check, um, 210 South Main Street, Anderson, South Carolina, 296 Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week for week three of Christianese.